House of Dragon, the prequel to the Game of Thrones, are based on a book by J.R.R. Martin called Fire and Blood, which takes place 2,000 years before the events of the Game of Thrones and chronicles the Tigerian clan's history. The cusp of the story centers around the daughter of King Viserys, who seeks to become the first woman to sit on the Iron Throne. The crux is that this won't sit well with the patriarchal society that's surrounding her. George R.R. R. Martin has always been keen to tell people what historical events have inspired his work. Whether it's the massacre at Glencow which inspired the Red Wedding, or whether it was the War of Roses that inspired the Game of Thrones. The period that would inspire the House of Dragons took place in England and Normandy between 1135 and 1153, in what historians would call the Anarchy, an event that involved the announcement of Empress Matilda as the heir apparent to the throne, her cousin Stephen who would want to seize the throne with the help of his brother and a civil war that ensued inciting a bleak period of civil unrest and political unheaval. And all this was due to a shipwreck that would go down in history as one of the worst maritime disasters, changing the course of history for years to come. I am your host Kareem, and tonight in the conversation before the world ends, we'll be looking at the white ship disaster. Welcome everyone to today's episode. I'm your host Kareem. And I'm Eamon. Tonight Aim will be looking at the civil war that kind of inspired uh, HBO's new show House of Dragons. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, and you know that with, especially with English history, it's always the slightest tweak that changes the course of history forever. If it's like Henry VIII getting divorced, changing the whole religious atmosphere in England. If it was Elizabeth I not getting married, not having an heir, which brought in the Stuarts. You know what I mean? And you find that a lot with a lot of English history that's always one moment that involves pretty much the loss of an heir that changes the course of everything. The, ro- the royalty has changed the course of western civilization continuously they've changed the face of christianity they've changed a lot of different things so yeah england's impact especially during their years has shaped modern world today in a lot of ways exactly so today's episode i wanted to focus on a shipwreck that happened uh in kind of the beginning of english history all right in the 11th century the 1100s all right I'm not sure if you know anything about that period, but it's kind of a period that's kind of washed away into the sands of time. Not a lot of people know about it. Why is that? That's a good question. I really don't know. Like, I don't remember studying this. I mean, we studied the tutors in school, right? Mm -hmm. And we studied the War of the Roses as the English Civil War. I think we studied the English Civil War with um, Cromwell. But this Civil War has not really been touched upon for some reason or another. Was it not deemed significant enough in the history books? To be honest, while researching this, I found it very interesting. I mean, of course, this came about because I read an article on the real-life inspirations for George R. R. Martin. Yeah. And this topic came up, uh, the anarchy, as it was called. That was the 19-year civil war. And I was kind of fascinated to say, what started this civil war, right? Yeah. And I was surprised to find that it was a shipwreck, like a, a maritime mistake. Sounds really random, but I'm curious about it. So let's kick it off today. Let's go for it. Um, part one. On November 25th, 1120, one of the Normans' finest vessel, the White Ship, set sail from the Norman harbor of Belfleur across the English Channel bound for England. 
Among the 300 passengers of the ship was William, the 17-year-old heir to the Kingdom of England and to the Duchy of Normandy, uh, Henry I's sole legitimate son. Okay? So on the ship, two of his legitimate brothers were also on board, along with bureaucratic knights who pretty much helped the king run his realm smoothly. Not long after the ship had set sail, many witness or many witnesses would later say they heard noises coming from the ship. Thinking it was just the passengers enjoying themselves, they didn't think much of it. When in fact, what they heard was a collective scream for help. When the ship grinded against the rocks, which pierced through the timbers, leaving a gaping hole which made the water pour in. This caused the ship to tilt to one side, right? Making her spill all the human cargo into the cold water. Now, what's interesting is that one of the passengers, and maybe perhaps the oddest passenger, was a man named Belrod, who was a butcher from France. Okay. And who somehow managed to get on this ship, right? So Berlord when the uh, Berlord. <laughs> Berlord when the ship was uh, sinking clung to the part of the white ship's mast and hauled himself into the free- from the freezing waves onto it, right? Next to him climbed a knight named Jeffrey. And the unlikely pair pulling a move that people would like condemn Rose in the Titanic helped each other onto the planks. Oh, well, okay. Yeah. Real life heroes. Exactly. <laughs> and um, they rescued each other from the cold water. Berlord would later note that the prince, William, uh, found a small rowboat and was able to sail away safely, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much, uh, William headed safely. Uh, Berlord and the knight pretty much watched in horror as the tragedy played around them. So King Henry I was well into his 50s when the ship sank, right? And unlike his son, who was pretty much born heir apparent to the throne, Henry didn't start his life dressed in purple, as they say, okay? Destined to be, at best, an obscure prince in a long line of... Uh, royalty so two decades prior to the ship sinking uh, henry found himself sitting on a vacant throne right when he left his eldest brother dying on the forest floor on that summer afternoon in 11 t- 1100 henry rode his horse into a gallop and raced back to seize the crown before anyone took notice so pretty much he left his brother dying henry the first and raced back to claim the throne for himself six years later he would steal the dukedom of normandy from his eldest brother when Henry defeated him in battle and damning him into a prison cell, where he would reside for the rest of his life. So this is how Henry I became the King of England and the Duke of Normandy. Henry established himself as a strong ruler over his land and pretty much overcoming enemies among the Anglo-Norman nobility. And pretty much he was a man who was known for his humor, but also for his harsh rule, right? Uh, Henry's father is maybe a figure you'd know, William the Conqueror. Of course, yeah. Uh, the most celebrated and perhaps maybe the most popular Norman since Norman Bates. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. Okay. Uh, from his mom's side, he was the cousin of Louis VI of France, where he would spend two year, 12 years warring with. So France at the time doesn't look like the France that we know today. I mean, it's not the Republic or the borders of what we know as France. Pre-Revolution France. Yeah, exactly. Not even. France was pretty much divided. France included parts of Belgium into its empire. But at the same time, the Roman Empire controlled eastern parts of France. Brittany was uh, on the west of France, was yep. pretty much run by the Celtics. Maine was on the east of France, and it was a kind of an independent state. Andrew on its, uh, was to its south. And northwest was, of course, Normandy. So it wasn't really France then? No, it was just a collective of city-states. Before it became an independent state, yeah. Yeah, and Normandy was considered out of all to be the rogue state, or what we would deem as a rogue state today, and it would become the biggest rival to the French why monarchy. Called, why is it considered? The... At that time, Norman, or the term Norman, comes from the word Northman, which is uh, named after the Scandinavian marauders from the north who came and settled there. And, of course, this would cause an issue or a rift between them and the French neighbors, right? 
So it was considered a bunch of rogue states. Yeah, the Vikings were always considered kind of like a hit and run before they settled down, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Normandy was the biggest one. That's where William Conquer, the Conqueror, he was actually a Viking or he has lineage runs t- to the Vikings. Yeah, because you know? Vikings are notorious for finding land and not necessarily settling for that land. Yeah, but eventually they started settling in places yeah. like I think Russia or Ukraine was settled by Vikings. Yeah. Uh, Normandy, Iceland. Anyways, so let's not get too much into this. I mean, the, we'll have to do a Viking episode yeah, soon. Sure. And just get carried away with it. Yeah, and I think the Vikings have really changed a lot in the world. So maybe we could do a future episode on the Vikings. Mm-hmm. But through the first Duke of Normandy, who was named Rollo, so William the Conqueror would be descended from them uh, to being the first king of the Normans, right? And of course, following the death of Edward the Confessor, king of England at that time, uh, William the Conqueror would become king of England. So back to Henry I. So Henry is believed to be the youngest child of William the Conqueror, who has four sons and five daughters. But his birthplace and year of birth is kind of riddled because back then the Normans did not really write shit down. Language. <laughs> did not write th- things down. Yeah, get off the explicit. <laughs> <laughs> but we do know that he was the youngest child and the first to be born in Hastings. So he was pretty much the first to be born after William the Conqueror conquered England. Okay, so the other ones were pre-conquering England. Yeah, exactly. Kids. The eldest son was Robert, who was teased for his short legs. And his father kind of uh, did not see him to be fit as king. Mm-hmm. Uh, his second son was Richard of Normandy, who was maybe his, the most popular son from him. But he would die in a hunting accident where a branch would fall on him and crush him. For some freak accident. Yeah. yeah. William's third son was called William Rufus, which he was also his father's favorite, and he would later inherit the crown of England. And that kind of leaves us with Henry I, right? Henry I would only inherit 5,000 pounds of silver. Okay. No territories. Nothing at all. Yeah, which he surprisingly would weigh carefully, by the way, to make sure his father did leave him 5,000 pounds of silver. It's weird. You think when he was born after he became a conqueror of Britain, he'll be a bit more like the blessed child. You think so, yeah. They're like, oh, this is my first child after I became the king of England. Yeah, so he must be bringing me blessings. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. William Rufus, or William II, reigned for 13 years. He reigned England for 13 years. And pretty much he had to duke with a battle of supremacy between him and his brother, who also was the Duke of Normandy, right? August 2nd, William died unexpectedly. When someone from his court accidentally fired an arrow at a deer during a hunting uh, party. And somehow it bounced off the back of the deer and hit William in the chest. I think I read about that. Yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah, and of course, conspiracy theories were abound that it wasn't really an accidental arrow. And the arrow was actually aimed to him. That makes sense. I mean, it's quite freakish. So Henry was pretty much dying from that wound. Robert, who was the Duke of Normandy, as we said, was pretty much off fighting in the First Crusade, uh, which kind of left the throne of England uh, empty for the taking, right? I am so exquisitely empty. And within the week, Henry will crown himself king. And of course, he had to deal with his eldest brother when his eldest brother came back from Jerusalem. And this kind of started the battle between England and Normandy which uh, after a few battles, Henry would win and imprison his older brother until his death 28 years later. So he would become king of England and Duke of Normandy. What, thing, what people do for power. Exactly. So Henry I got married twice, right? And despite his affinity for women and pretty much fathering about 24 illegitimate children, hmm. he only had two legitimate kids. He didn't want to use a condom. No. On 11.03... Henry and his first wife, Edith, welcomed their first-born son, 
who they named William, after the grandfather William the Conqueror. But prior to that, on 1102, they gave, a, they gave birth to a daughter named Matilda. William was pretty much going to be the heir apparent to Henry, and by 1110, Henry had arranged his daughter Matilda to be married to Henry V, the king of Germany, who would also become the Holy Roman Emperor. Another um, Henry. And another, yo, this whole, like, this whole episode, the amount of Matildas and Henrys you're going to encounter is crazy. Sorry, what's he eating? What's Nothing. Did you see Henry, like, goes? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Henry arranged his daughter to be married to Henry V, the king of Germany, who would become later the Holy Roman Emperor. And coming, and this would come to pass in 1114. And hence, a political alliance was forged between Germany and the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, Germany, sorry, England and the Holy Roman Emperor. That's why they would do it, right? The marriages yeah. were to unify exactly. tri- tribes and kingdoms. William would also be arranged to be married uh, to in 1119 to Matilda of Anjou. Uh, so Matilda to Henry and William to Matilda. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think Matilda was the only female name available at the time. At that time, Henry I was also facing contention from uh, another William. William of Cleto. William of Cleto was Henry's... What does William mean? I have no idea. That's a good question. So I'm going to Google that one. Okay. William of Cleto. Okay. So William's cousin, William, was contenting with Henry I, his uncle, for the throne of England. Uh, resolute protector or strong-willed warrior. Strong-willed warrior? Comes from Wilhelm. Is this like a Norse? So Will. Will. Willing. Wilhelm. Yeah. So it's mm. probably the helm of like Will. So willing. Strong-willed. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what it means, will uh, will or desire, and hell meaning helmet for protection. Mm-hmm, interesting. So that's what's considered a powerful name. Okay, and what does Henry mean? <laughs> uh, probably not as cool as William, but let's see. Henry meaning. Uh, what does Henry mean? It's a common French name for boys. Uh, Henry, H-N-E-R, which derived from the name Hemerick. Which is an old German for the house ruler. Okay. Old German, huh? So uh, there we go. Yeah, it's made up of two Heim and Drek Heimrich, which means ruler. So Henry means ruler. Mm hmm. The more you know, guys. <laughs> the more you know. Now remember that, because the more you know. As we said, at that time, Henry I was facing contention from another William named William Cleto, who was pretty much Henry's nephew, right? Mm-hmm. The son of Robert of Normandy. Like I said, it's just another, uh, to quote that song, just another messed up line along the family tree, right? Yeah. Um, so he was aided by King Louis of France, or who would be known as King Louis the Fat. Uh, on August 1119, Henry and his son defeated Louis, and ultimately succeeding in entering a peace negotiation with him, right? And in that time, Louis the Fat would disavow William's nephew, William of Cleto, uh, William's nephew, Henry's nephew, William of Cleto, and accepting his son, Henry's son, William, as the Duke of Normandy. Okay? All cool? All cool. So this brings us to where? November 25th, 1120 AD. Part 2, The White Ship. So Henry, William, and their entourage, they were pretty much ready to go back to England after defeating France and making a peace deal, right? So the court really had everything in its right place. Yep. So as they celebrated, Henry and uh, William were pretty much planning to go back to England. Uh, Henry decided to leave first 
and William wanted to stay and party a bit more, right? At that time, he was offered to write a ship that was pretty much fit for a king. It was called the White Ship. And the guy who helmed the ship, tell William or tell Henry, his father used to captain uh, William the Conqueror from France to England. So it would be his honor if he could do the same. So now Henry was offered to ride the white ship alongside his uh, nephew, a guy called Stephen. Now put a pin in that, right? Because that name will come up later. Stephen. Stephen. And William's child bride-to-be, Matilda of Andrew, who was aged 9 to 10 at that time. Okay, Henry declined to go, opting to take the vessel that was set to leave earlier. Okay? William, who was pretty much partying hard, decided that, okay, he'll take the off- guy's offer and ride the ship. Keep this in mind, okay, that William decided, uh, Henry decided to take the ship earlier. So what happened? Well, for starters, William had asked for an w- enormous amount of wine to be bought aboard the white ship. Get drunk, get lit. For people to get drink. Uh, for people to get drink. For people to get drunk along the way, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, the vessel crew were also encouraged to drink and celebrate with the nobles there, and everybody got drunk. So drunk that they didn't even have the time for the religious people to come and bless the voyage. Because, you know, back then they would bless it before they would leave, you know? Yes, sorry, since Matilda's going to be brought up up soon. So Matilda means uh, Matt, which is German, and Hild means battle. So uh, strength in battle. Strength in battle. Might and strength, and then Hild means battle. So Matt means might, and Hild means strength, uh, means battle, sorry. So Matilda. So Matilda means uh, strong like us. So it's like the feminine of that. Yeah, someone strong in battle. Mm -hmm. That's the feminine name generally, Germanic. Sorry, just the names are going to come up more often, yeah. So you might as well know. Because the more you know, the further you'll go. I'm out of here. Okay, so where were we? Sorry. So A lot of wine. Yeah, so people were getting drunk to the tea. Uh, did they even have time for the religious protocols to take place? Uh, take place. Take place, blessing the voyage and whatnot. Uh, literally, the monks showed up and they were told by the guys to like, fuck off. And language. The problem was that the skipper, pretty much who was as drunk as his crew, were kind of, had kind of like a clouded sense of judgment when he was uh, sailing his ship, which kind of led him to underestimate the distance the ship had covered uh, since sailing. So he kind of prematurely dropped the sail, right? And a lot of people would contend on why was he so negligent. And the only explanation is that he most likely just got wasted. And so was he dropped the sail on a rocky floor? A rocky floor, right? So guys, just for your reference, and that means the sail doesn't settle. And if a big tide will still push the ship around. So pretty much it, it crashed into the rocks, right? And it right? caused damage for them to pull back up if the rocks are holding it down. Exactly. So what happened was the... The ship got splint. The rocks start splintering the ship from the rowers, rowers' oars, mm-hmm. and the water rushed through the gashes in the ship. Right, so this eventually meant that the ship would tilt over, and it threw passengers and crew to the cold water. Right, so like I said before, the people were screaming for help, but the people on land who could hear the faint screams just assumed there was people partying the night away. Right, mm-hmm. uh, William, being the heir apparent and the most important person on the ship was rushed into the only rowboat that was there and they kind of pushed him away to safety while the rest stayed in water and pretty much to the mercy of the sea. The, there, were, there was about um, 300 people on board. They all died within minutes. The cold water, pretty much what happens is, and I'm pretty sure if you've seen Titanic, you know this, the cold water causes a shock into the system. So a shock so intense that it kills them, right? So the first reaction 
is you'd have the gas reflex, hyperventilation, and muscle spasm, right? Yeah. And then the change of pulse and blood pressure, and would, and this will even last two or three minutes in the water that's less than fifteen degrees Celsius. The panic, of course, would have sped up the process because you're hyperventilating even faster. You're panicking. You're taking faster breaths. Yep. And if you somehow survived all that and anything after 3 to 30 minutes of immersion, your body is going to begin to get numb from the cold. So you're going to start losing strength in your hands and feet or whatever's keeping you afloat at that point, right? Even if you could swim. And not a lot of people knew how to swim back then. It wasn't really a pastime that was encouraged, especially by nobles. How far can you swim in the cold water, you know, before your body stiffens yeah, up? Gives up on so, like we said, Burlroyd the Butcher somehow survived the ordeal, right? He was wearing some wool clothing, which was able to insulate the cold water, especially when it's hot, oh, especially when it's hot, especially when it's wet. So, for future reference, if you ever get into a cold water or get out, try to cover yourself in wool because it's a good insulator for water, cold water. He will be joined by Jeffrey D. Aguil. Legil. Every French pronunciation I'm going to butcher, so I apologize in advance. Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe fuck yourself. And uh, he will be joined by him on the, like I said, on the mast, on the plank. The captain of the ship, Thomas Fitzstevens, uh, had asked about the prince's safety to them. And they said that they witnessed William sailing off into the open water. So William has been rowing to shore by his bodyguards, right? So one of the bodyguards was rowing with him. And at some point, William turned, or William had ordered the boat to turn around and go back to the people. Uh, apparently, he heard his half sister screaming for him, for his help. He was a decent dude. Yeah, and she was one of Henry's illegitimate daughters. So she was screaming. William pretty much made his way back to her. All those who were drowning were pretty much saw that there's a rowboat coming back. They all tried to get into it. Mm-mm. Now, what happened was the weight of those people who were trying to climb into the rowboat. Uh, swamped the boat into the sea. Giving way to the weight, it just vanished into the water. And is this all on the, from the account of the butcher? Yeah. You think he was glorifying William a bit? I don't see any reason to him because like, it's not like he was, uh, he was going to get anything from it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the prince disappeared into the water and faded. Mm. This would be the last time I think anyone would see him. Now, what's interesting is that, well, going back to the story, and then I'll bring back that bit about the butcher later. So Thomas, the captain hearing this, and pretty much having his worst fear confirmed that the prince vanished into the sea, thought to himself in a moment of clarity maybe that if he lived, he would be responsible for the death of the heir of the throne, right? And he was reported to have said to the butcher, uh, it's vain for me to go on living. And perhaps it was a better fate than facing a furious and distraught king. Captain Fitzstephen let go of the plank and allowed himself to be swallowed by the waves. Damn. Yeah, so this pretty much left the butcher and the knight as the sole survivors of the white ship. Managing to hold on to the spar throughout the night together, Jeffrey managed to stay alive for a few hours, but he was suffering from hypothermia. He grew tired and weak and before the cold overtook him. So his last words to the butcher was a blessing, like a prayer to him, and before falling unconscious and sliding off into the sea. So this left the butcher alone to clink on a piece of wood all the way to shore, which is interesting because pretty much he was the poorest person to board the ship. He wasn't even supposed to board it. He was just a butcher. He came to collect his debt because people were like buy, bought meat and they were like roasting and they didn't pay him for it. So he wanted to collect their debt on the way to London and then he'll take the ship back. Wow. When I was reading that, like the poorest person on board pretty much survived the whole idea. And I think there's some metaphor to be learned about this, you know? Absolutely, like, yeah. All the, rich, all the rich nobles and the bureaucrat captains all sunk 
except for one poor butcher. butcher. Following day, some bodies would pile up on shore of those who died. Uh, most, most of them were never found, and William was one of them. Until now, they don't know where his body is. Uh, the heir apparent of England and Normandy vanished. Uh, his father's favorite vanished into the darkness of the sea, never to be seen again. Henry of Huntington wrote that the head which should have worn the crown of gold was suddenly dashed against a rock. Instead of wearing embodied robes, he floated naked into the waves. This event would forever change the course of two countries. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Portrait of a confused undergraduate. He has his life before him and doesn't know what he's going to do with it. Heads, he'll study medicine. Tails, he'll study law. Or maybe he'll be an engineer. Portrait of a happy undergraduate. He knows where he's going. He has just been accepted as a naval aviation cadet. He's on his way to Pensacola, the Navy's Annapolis of the Air, for flight training. For 18 months of the best training for aviators in the world, his mind will be alert, his body active and healthy. And when he receives those Navy wings of gold, he'll fly with the fleet in the most modern planes that America can produce. You can, too, if you qualify as a Naval Aviation Cadet. Make your own portrait that of a happy man. See your nearest recruiting station and investigate the Naval Cadet Program today. Part 3, The Empress. So, another William. William of Malsbury once assured Matilda, the daughter of Henry I, and his wife, Edith, no one has more of royal and a glorious claim to the hereditary crown of England than her. Of course, Matilda would, would exceed that through a spectacular marriage. Matilda's husband, as we said, was the son of Henry IV of Germany, the Holy Roman Emperor. And Henry IV kind of suffered a turbulent reign that the popes of Rome did not like him and his family didn't like him either. Both of his wives would complain about sexual humiliation and they said that they, he forced them to take part in orgies, black magic, and that he encouraged one of his sons to sleep with the mom. In 1105, Henry IV pretty much was uh, compelled to abdicate the throne, fearing that his son, Henry V, would murder him. So the disposed emperor would eventually suddenly die a few weeks after. So Henry V was left as the sole heir to the Holy Roman Empire, the biggest empire in Europe. So you can see how Henry I of England was to benefit a lot if his daughter was married to this dude. Yeah. Henry was crowned emperor in 1111, and by 1114, Matilda, who was 12 years old, uh, married the emperor. And now the Holy Roman Emperor at the time was in such turmoil because like, the problem is there was a lot of popes who would fight for the papacy. One pope would denounce him the emperor, the other pope would denounce him as the emperor, one pope would say that his legitimate pope, one pope would say his the legitimate one. A messy situation. Exactly. Anyways, it depends on who's your friend or foe. At that time, depended on what was your title. So on 1118, Matilda, who was 16 at the time, was left in charge of Italian territories because her husband was too busy quelling rebellions in Germany. And this is when she kind of developed a reputation for being as ruthless and decisive as her husband. When the ship sank, Matilda had become the sole legitimate child to King Henry. And in 1125, in the month of May, Emperor Henry V died from cancer at the age of 38. And with the marriage has proven to be barren, they had no children. So the 23-year-old widow, uh, Matilda, pretty much had to relieve herself from her duties uh, by the Archbishop of Mainz, who kind of realized that 
she has no role to play and pretty much packed her bags and told her to go back home. But she did leave Germany with a good reputation and a reputation of being pious and wise, right? That so far, so much so that the Germans would call her the good Matilda. She met her dad in Normandy where he was fighting the French again in 1126 and they went back to England together. And this was the first time she went to England in 16 years. Upon going to England, her father, her father was kind of planning for her to be the next successor to the throne. At that time, he also tried to marry her off to Geoffrey of Andrew, the eldest son of his nemesis, Count Falk V. Count Falk. Falk. It's not a cuss word, guys, so you don't give me an explicit. Um, which Matilda was opposed to because she felt that Geoffrey of Andrew was kind of beneath her. I mean, she just came back from being the empress yeah. of, Ro- of the Holy Roman Empire. So step down for her. Exactly. To marry a count, you know, or the son of a count. So Henry I pretty much would name his daughter as the successor to the throne and commanded the allegiance, uh, commanded the Pledge of Allegiance from the bishops, the king of Scotland at that time, the nobles and her family members. And on top of that, M- Matilda had acquiesced and she finally married the count. Despite the differing personalities, um, she would give birth to a son. And do you want to take a guess what he, she named him? Henry. There you go. <laughs> and 15 months later, she would give birth to another boy. Do you want to know what she named him? William. No, Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, and so Jeffrey Sr. kind of at that point demanded assurance that after Henry's uh, death, he and Matilda would rule the Anglo-Norman realm together, right? Alongside his, his land, the land that he owned. Yeah, no, the Andrew. Henry was not kind of, did not feel encouraged to give him any claim to land because he didn't want his family to succeed him. He wanted it to be He wanted Matilda. it to be Matilda, right? Uh, even so much that, like, so as a dowry to marrying his daughter, he was promised, uh, Geoffrey was promised castles in the southern border of France, or sorry, the southern border of Normandy because he could use it as a frontier to the French. He wasn't even given that. Henry could just stall on the idea because he was worried that he'd be surrendering too much to his son-in-law. What happened? So Henry I was considered that he was kind of also known for a person who had modest proportions when he would eat food. Uh, He did not eat too much. He did not eat too little. But for one day, he decided that he wanted to have lampreys, which is a type of sea creature that's kind of shaped like an eel. It kind of has to be cleaned thoroughly because there's a lot of toxins in it, right? What happened? So Henry decided one day that he wanted to eat a lot of lampreys. And he ate so much that he finally he grew violently sick. A week later, he would die. So random. Exactly. And his death in Normandy was met with chaos breaking out in the city. And this is what Henry kind of was worried about, or like that his legacy was that it would eventually end in chaos. And that's why he was so animate in making his daughter the next successor, right? Part four, Stephen of Blos. Now, remember I told you to keep that name and put a pin in it? Now, who's Stephen? Well, as we mentioned before, Stephen was kind of was supposed to go on the white ship with Henry and William, right? But he opted out because his stu- he had stomach pains and diarrhea, which kind of persuaded him not to get on the ship. Pretty much that moment in time would be so pivotal, by the way. The fact that he had diarrhea and could not go onto a ship. So Stephen was pretty much the third son of Adelaide which is um, King Henry I's favorite sister. They're all related. All related. And he was one of Henry's first supporters, right? And she, No, sorry. She was one of Henry's first supporters when he took the crown. So she was one of the few sisters who supported him when he decided to take the crown for himself from his older brother. Uh, she would also help negotiate for him on behalf of the French. When, they would, when he would lose battles, she would go speak to the French king because no way Henry would like bow one knee to the French, French king, yeah. right? Stephen had grown up in the Anglo-Norman court because he was so he was favored by King Henry I. 
and he would later be given states in England for good measure, and he would also be given land in near the French border, which also made, gave him the reputation of being a warrior and a leader because he would consistently fight the French. And he was considered also a rich man to be very humble and generous and also courteous to people around him. So even the aristocrats loved him, even the common people loved him. So in 1125, when um, he would um, <laughs> he would marry Mathilde, Mathilde, not Matilda, okay, so <laughs> of the heiress of the Countess of Eustace. Diversity. Exactly. Whose mother had been the sister of Henry's first wife. Okay. Making, making her the first cousin to Henry's kids. So you can see the connection, right? Yeah. So his wife was Henry's first cousins from their mother's side. He was Henry's, he was Henry's kid's first cousin. do a graph with all this. Yeah, we're gonna ha- I'm going to have to post it online or something. So Uncle Eustace would die the day the two of them got married. So he pretty much inherited the whole state from her, right? Anyways, when William, anyways with William dead, right? Uh, from the sinking of the ship. Stephen was second in line behind David of Scotland to be called the successor, male successor. And this is when Henry called them both to pledge an allegiance to Matilda. And Stephen would reluctantly do so, right? So when Henry died, Stephen was able to get the news before Matilda did. And he took a ship from Wissant to Dover and from Dover to London. And when he got to London, he was able to persuade the people that he was the king. Any man who must say, I am the king, is no true king. Even though he promised that Matilda he, yeah. that he would present allegiance. And to be honest, my dude had claimed, man. He was the grandson of William the Conqueror. He was the son of Adelaide. He was born in purple. He, was, he also had promised the people that he would rule the same way his uncle did. He didn't even come up with any new reform. Pretty much, I will continue the old guard. You know? Uh, two archbishops revoked their oath for Matilda and supported him. Uh, he promised one of them that he would give their son a role as chancellor. The other archbishop being Stephen's younger brother, Bishop Henry. No more butchie. No more of this. And while others refused to contemplate the idea of him being a king, each one was, would ask him why would he break his own oath, right? Like, and the king would say that he felt bullied. And some of them agreed that they felt also bullied to swear an oath to Matilda. Yeah. Even though they weren't in favor of the idea, right? So anyway... A throne needed to be filled, and they saw Stephen fit to be king, right? He was, he was eventually of royal blood, right? And he, he had was, a good reputation. Exactly, too. and he was a warrior. Mm-hmm. And on top of all that, he was a man, a yeah, male. Yeah, true, true. You know, and pretty much uh, he was... A big deal back then. Yeah, and he was pretty much favored, right? So he was crowned king three weeks after Henry died, and his ceremony was apparently so rushed, so Matilda wouldn't have time to contemplate a move, right? So why was there so much support for Stephen over Matilda? Like, beside the fact that her sex played a role, no one really understood at the time what role would a queen play in ruling. It was a foreign concept, yeah. Exactly, because at that time, like the only time a queen ruled was pretty much when her husband was away fighting a battle and she was left as like regent, right? Yeah. Like Her cause was also undermined by the fact that her husband was just a count. Mm-hmm. Uh, with many nobles displeased, us, like Uslan displeased that she was married to... Account. Jeffrey of Andrew of all, of all counts too you know because he was an outsider he was even like Normandy blood um, they had questioned the role he would play if, he got, if she became successor maybe he would take over exactly would he, would he take over would he act as a consort like would he be would he just be there or would he start reigning on behalf of his son you know yeah true exactly and also his son would become heir apparent yeah now Stephen had promised his older brother Theobald of Normandy uh, in order to avoid any disputes, that is like when he becomes king, 
he would give him 2,000 marks a year as compensation not to revolt against him. So his older brother acquiesced. acquiesced. So that leaves only the Scots up north, King David, who we said would also pledge allegiance because he was supposed to be next in succession before Stephen, right? Because it was William, yeah. David, Stephen. David was pretty much, King David was pretty much outraged at Stephen at this point. And he was upset that he broke his oath, that he also felt that he would invade England or he wanted to invade England on Matilda's behalf. Mm-hmm. So he was pretty much loyal to Henry I, right? But he wasn't able to get enough support to invade Stephen and decided to just bide his time, you know? Yeah. Uh, but this doesn't mean that Stephen didn't face any rebellions. King Baldwin de Redvers, the Redvers, whose father also was a staunch supporter of Henry I, and he was one of those who supported Matilda's succession, started rebelling. So Stephen and Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin, <laughs> Stephen Baldwin, Stephen, Stephen and Baldwin met in battle a few times with Stephen eventually crushing Baldwin and surrounding, surrounding their castle. And it created such a siege that people started dying from hunger. Wow. So the king's bishop's brother, at the time, advised Stephen to show no clemency. And he said that you should use Baldwin as an example for future rebellions. So who steps into the picture? Robert of Gloucester, Earl of Gloucester, who is Henry's oldest illegitimate son. He persuaded Stephen to act with mercy. And Stephen decided that the rebels should stay alive and gave them liberty. So Baldwin would go into exile to the Isle of Wight, and he would just eventually stay there and become a pirate and pretty much siphon funds from Stephen's ships. He would later, eventually, in a few years, he would later go to Andrew to meet with Matilda. That's for later on, so let's not get ahead of ourselves. So Stephen managed to force a friendlier alliance with Louis Louis the Fat, and he was also happy to see that that France was not going to be a threat to him. And also, at the same time, Louis was happy to accept that because he thought that Stephen wasn't really in control of England just yet, so he didn't feel threatened by England at that moment. So he was like, okay, whatever, I'll sign you. The contract, you know, the peace negotiation. But Louis the Fat would eventually die. Uh, his son, Louis the Young, would succeed him. And he would be married to Eleanor of Aquitaine, which pretty much gave him the biggest resources of armies possible. So France had the biggest, strongest army at that point. Because she had such an estate, so he, she, he was able to get resources from her. Okay. In the winter of 13, 1136, Jeffrey began leading his men pretty much at that point because he noticed that like, okay, Stephen's taking the throne from my wife. So he, he, he guarded his own army, Jeffrey, Matilda's husband. And he decided to go to Normandy and he wanted to champion his wife's claims to the throne, right? So Stephen tried to counter him but ran into a lot of noblemen who were pretty much caught up in their own self-interest that they did not support Stephen. And then that's when Stephen said that Stephen realized that there was limits to his own authority, mm-hmm. that he wasn't really a proper king yet, you know? He was a king on paper, yeah, but he didn't gain the respect from all the noblemen. Yeah. So some nobles at the same time urged Robert of Gloucester, like we said, Henry's oldest legitimate child, uh, to take the throne from uh, Stephen. And being a male and being an impressive general in his own right, like he was such a he was such an impressive general that even his father back when would ask him for advice on battles. But he said that his status as an illegitimate child ruled him out of contention. This was during the time uh, where the the bishops could really sway who would become next like yeah, next eligible game. for succession. And of course, if you're a bastard child, yeah. um, Matilda on the other hand, when she finally got word of her dad's passing, she moved quickly to seize all the castles in the south of Normandy which was promised to her husband as a dowry, right? And she used these as forced and strongholds. But she was pregnant at the time, so she had to kind of wait till that was done. And do you want to know what she named her third son? 
So we have Henry, we have Jeffrey. Has to be William. Yep. <laughs> there it goes, yeah. Uh, and of course, how do we end this? So there's um, so there has been a succession crisis, right? Yeah. 1087 to 1100, uh, where William the Conqueror pretty much had to fight his uh, siblings for the throne, right? Mm-hmm. A generation later, his kids, would also, his grandkids would also do the same thing. And this kind of leaves us to part four, the last part, the anarchy. So Stephen found that the noblemen who were, who were in England were changing sides every, like, on every dime, you know? Yeah. Some would start supporting Matilda's claim. Eventually, then they'll go back to Stephen. Then they'll eventually say, well, Matilda kind of had succession rights. And the king felt that he was being alienated a lot by the noblemen, right? Even the church that supported him were becoming disillusioned by his reign because since he promised them that make me your king and I'll give you free and independent elections to regulate their religious affairs without his interference, right? Mm. Of course, he would not and he would add his family members into the church. To change it, yeah. Exactly. Tilda, on the other hand, she would write to her uncle, King David of Scotland, asking for his help and perhaps trying to compensate for his years of inaction, decided to help her out. She was loyal to Henry. Exactly. David would send out a decree which said to raise all arms with free license to commit against the English without pity the most savage and cruel deeds they could invent. Wow. So it's like, do what you have to do, go destroy the English, you know? Damn. And be creative in the way you do it. Richard of Hexham would record how the, invade and the invaders obeyed his request and committed the most atrocious acts against the whole, uh, than any whole race of pagans could. Murdering anyone from both sexes, every age possible, every rank. They plundered and burned down towns. They sacked churches, houses. The sick, the pregnant, the infants were not spared. David had unleashed a torrent of violence and destruction in the north of England. This is uh, how he repaid it, you know. Uh, Stephen was able to push them back, though, in February of 1138. But Robert of Gloucester suddenly acted on his oath and wanted his sister to rule. So in June 1138, he sent an envoy declaring his support to Matilda. And he expressed his annoyance that the uh, King Stephen had failed to seek his advice on any matter. Mm. So now what you have is one savage king up north who pretty much said he's a carte blanche to go destroy. You have one of the most impressive and formidable uh, generals in the south who is willing to go. And they're all willing to help Matilda. Matilda. So Matilda, with her brother's support, pushed forward and claimed Normandy. And Stephen would realize that it's hard to fight a war on two fronts, which would be like a common theme throughout history. You can't just fight two different battles North at the same and time. South, yeah. So, and he noticed that every time he, they would go to Normandy, his soldiers would desert him. So returning to England, and uh, noticed that um, Robert of Gloucester's support had greater impact in England than it did in Normandy to begin with, and that Robert had controlled the west side of England and the south of the kingdom, with Bristol becoming his own capital. So now Bristol has become the capital of the rebel Western, alliance, yeah. you know? And stories and rumors began to spread on how soldiers were being tortured, starved, and that Robert was throwing cruelties, in quotes, the likes of Nero. Wow. Yeah. Um, and pretty you don't much. You really hear about him much as well. Who? Robert of Gloucester? Like for being so uh, brutal. Uh, and pretty much toppled with the never ending attacks from the north, massacring anything and everything in sight, it pretty much began to wane on Stephen, right? And Stephen demanded from his three bishops to hand over their castles and their wealth. Uh, so they could continue funding the war. Of course, they all objected, right? So he had them all arrested. Robert of Salisbury would relent and hand over his possessions of most of his wealth. Some of them uh, were starved until they did so. 
Stephen's brother also demanded from Stephen that to answer for the treatment of the bishops, right? Stephen would later regret his actions, but he still ended up taking all their wealth, you know? Yeah. And um, that's how bishops begin to switch sides to Matilda. Matilda. Uh, so you could see, like, this is becoming a medieval nightmare, right? So, like, this moment yeah, in time... Stephen's losing it all. Uh, it's losing it all, people switching sides, people are massacred right and left. The country's pretty much running out of money. Yeah. As you can see, like, this is what the Victorian historians, Victorian historians, historians in the Victorian times would call the anarchy. And this was the most de- devastating consequence of the white ship sinking, right? True. Uh, so Stephen's position grew increasingly complicated in 1139 because the guy who he exiled, Baldwin, came back to attack him. And when the king himself went to the com- like to command the siege there, he was forced to move because he heard that Matilda and Robert of Gloucester were also planning to land in England. Literally all fronts. All fronts. And Matilda was ready to claim her throne. Matilda, Robert of Gloucester... And with their 3,000 soldiers landed in England and Matilda stayed in the castle in Bristol as the main force, right? With, with Robert of Gloucester and his hand-picked entourage rode to Bristol together mm-hmm. and traveling at night and without any detection of the king's men. Now, the pretty much already bitter civil war would escalate to the worst point because the arrival of Matilda in, the, in England pretty much came during a time when there was doubt about Stephen's, when doubt about Stephen were intensifying, right, in his ranks. And in a very bizarre move, uh, he had the chance, Stephen, to strike Matilda when she was coming to England, like on ship, but he didn't. So Why not? Uh, I don't know. He was advised not to do so, and he kind of just listened. Perhaps he said if he attacked her, people would just turn on him more. Perhaps. And pretty much he granted her a safe passage with her brother to England. Yeah, he probably realized if he attacks her, he's already losing everyone. Yeah. and Maybe he thought by doing this, he'll come off as humble. Like, at least, like, I allowed her to come through. Yeah, and then be like, okay, maybe it's not so bad. Yeah, but uh, this led to a few scrim, like a series of skirmishes between the those loyal to Matilda and Stephen. And it saw Stephen being defeated, right? And he's pretty much, at this point, London was exposed. Stephen would spend 1140 pretty much responding to one emergency after another, right? Just a series of emergencies. Matilda's return also showed how nobles have like the most shallow of loyalties. And they would pretty much flip-flop on the whim of whoever is winning the war. Matilda was also known to reward those who were loyal to her and to be harsh to those who weren't, right? She showed her severity like her father, you know? My father's daughter. Uh, Stephen, on the other hand, was growing kind of bitter about those who were object his rule. And he said, he was quoted to have said, uh, when they chose me as king, why do they abandon me? Um, his wife, sensing that the civil war was reaching its climax, tried to broker a peace. Uh, his wife, Matilde, Matilde mm-hmm. it didn't fall through. In 1141, Robert was able to gain the upper hand, which led to the most important battle, the Battle of Lincoln. And this would show Stephen going down, fighting. So people reported that his sword shattered in the middle of the fight, and he continued fighting. And when he was about to reach for his axe, he was struck uh, with a rock, and he was arrested, and he was imprisoned. Damn. Uh, Stephen would later say that this was his uh, curse for uh, arresting the bishops. So Robert took the captive king to from Lincoln to Gloucester to impress Matilda with before taking him to Bristol. Now Stephen was arrested and imprisoned for life. Matilda pretty much seemed in, like in place to take the crown, right? Yeah. And she was bestowed the title Lady of England and Normandy. And deciding that she will reign as a ruling authority, she ref- refused to take any male advisor and ended up calling all the wealthy Londoners to provide her with money. 
Wow. And of course, when they said that because of the civil war, they couldn't pay for her and she apparently um, refused and rejected their proposals the same way her father did, right? And um, she reportedly lost her shit. And it was also reported that Stephen's wife also came to plead for her husband's freedom, promising that they would go live in exile if she could just release him. She refused the same way. She's quite ruthless. Like yeah. She got it from her Germanic roots. Yeah, same way her father did, right? Um, but when her father did it, he was kind of considered sensible for doing so. When she did it, history cut, went and wrote down that she was pretty mean and uncompromising. Yeah, women always get the short Yeah, mistake, you know. Yeah. So Matilda ended up alienating most of her allies. She did not win over any of her enemies. During his capture, Stephen's wife was able to get more supporters for his cause. And she needing a stronger like ally to counterweight Matilda, she went and took Stephen's son to marry the daughter of Louis the Fat. So enabled to bring France his wealth and armed resources into the civil war. So you can see this is becoming more messy, right? So all this while Matilda's coronation was beckoning, the bishops, pretty much kind of unimpressed with Matilda, left the capital. So there was no bishop to crown her as queen. During that time, on June 24th, London erupted in a rebellion and pretty much broke into her palace, where she was able to escape with her brother, only to be circled later on by an army loyal to Stephen, which led to a fight and like a battle. Uh, Robert was able to take control just enough for his sister to escape, but Robert would eventually be captured. Resembling something of a chessboard, you have a queen retreating, a a king cornered and almost being checkmated, and a knight captured, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. In 1141, the knight would be traded for a king. Stephen was released for Robert to be released. And just like Hollywood, we got treated to a sequel the civil war erupted again and they get kicked back into a bigger gear and of course like any unnecessary sequel it was a big disaster yeah the ties were also turning on matilda with Stephen gaining so much land during the second civil war i guess they realized that the, uh, they preferred him as well exactly and to be honest in december matilda's supplies were running low the morale of her army was running even lower that looked like by christmas matilda was gonna lose yeah but in a move that Pretty much even her enemies would come to ad- admire. Uh, Matilda planned her escape. She would, her knights would lower her from the castle that she was staying at, wrapped in, in a bed sheet, a white bed sheet, so that she could blend into the snow. She would later walk across a river barefoot and navigate it through a 13-mile thir- road between Oxford and Wailing Fort Castle, which would be a safe haven for her to leave. The next day, her castle in Oxford was, was surrendered and they were not able to find her. She got away. She got away. Robert would return to aid his sister on July 1st, 1143, and he would launch a surprise attack, almost capturing Stephen again. And the tide started turning to Matilda's favor. It was back and forth. But this time, Matilda had a new reason to fight, and it wasn't for her to become empress. Now she wanted her son to rule, and she wanted to secure her son's place in succession because her son was becoming of age. It's a good motivation. Exactly. And loyalty is going back and forth. Eventually, uh, Robert would eventually pass away. Damn. Yeah. Matilda decided to cross the sea to Normandy and just relax. She decided to, that the civil war has taken enough from her. Uh, the civil war had remained a stalemate at that point. Stephen controlled most of the country in the north. Matilda controlled the southwest area. Her son, Henry, would take over the civil war from her and try to claim the throne when he, when he became of age. But pretty much with the country ravaged with death and finances depleted, many have felt convinced that this has come a time for peace, right? So Stephen and Henry would meet and they would try to negotiate terms of peace. And the accord was sealed and Stephen took Henry with him to London. 
where he would declare Henry, Matilda's son, as his heir and succession. So Stephen relented and he's like, you could be king after me. That's a good compromise. Uh, so pretty much Stephen became a lame king and he was just pretty much as what we call a transitional champion, right? Yeah. Henry II would ascend to the throne. Now, why is Henry II's ascension important to history? And this is where we see the effects of what the white ship would cause for the future of England. Because Henry II would father eight children, right? Five of them would rule England. And he would create a dynasty that would span 300 years. I studied about Henry II. Yeah, they're called the Plantagenet bloodline. We are looking at how to pronounce the name of this royal house. How do you go about pronouncing this word? For reference, in French, this is normally said as Plantagenet. In English, however, it is usually pronounced as Plantagenet. Pretty straightforward, once you know. Yeah. Uh, now, who's, who was a part of that bloodline? Well, you got Richard the Lionheart, King John, and it would ultimately descend with another story that would pretty much inspire the actual Game of Thrones, Richard III, which would, of course, as you know, fight Henry VII yeah. in the War of the Roses which would give us the tutors. True. You could see how effectively this caused a change his, in dynasty, his, which... His lineage was pretty legendary. Legendary. And um, also, like, what, what Richard the Lionheart did for the Crusades and the changing tide of the Crusades. Yeah, yeah. What Richard III and his cruelty when he arrested um, uh, his, uh, the king's sons to yeah. become king himself. And, of course, the War of the Roses was brought Henry VIII, Elizabeth I, and pretty much changed... England and of course that would lead to the Armada and whatnot and this all happened because of a shipwreck you know too much booze probably yeah the, like this shipwreck impacted and the next generation and pretty much resulted in what could be considered the bloodiest anarchy England has suffered a 19 year civil war sure. just because a shipwreck happened you know William of Mil- Malsbury would say that no ship that ever sailed brought England so much disaster Soon after the white ship went down, and pretty much this remains the case, like 900 years on, I don't think any shipwreck caused so much chaos. You know what I mean? In terms of the ripple effect, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's not like it was bombed by an enemy. It's literally just a drunk captain like, who didn't get how to drop the anchor, you know? This story would eventually inspire the book Dance of the Dragons, and which would inspire the House of Dragons. Now, I don't know how the show would play out. Um, I don't know how much of this they will take from it. But it's just interesting that like this shipwreck would create such a ripple effect that it would be inspire two yeah, <laughs> books that would create Game House of Thrones. House of Dragons with the War with, of the Roses and uh, House of, Game of Thrones with War of the Roses, House of Dragons with the Anarchy. Yeah. And pretty much caused a civil war that changed the fate of England, changed the fate of Europe and, and I don't know, of, of the world eventually because current TV viewing. <laughs> exactly. Baking HBO, HBO H- records. HBO Max, yeah. I thought that this would be a nice topic to get through, to be yeah. a nice, easy one. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it's more fact-based in opinion, but it's definitely a huge con- contribution to pretty much everything you studied about history, English history, uh, especially in high school and all that. That was all based on all these characters. This was like the prequel. We never knew because we just got right into Henry the Seventh and King Richard. We never got to their origins. Exactly. And what's also interesting is that you get to see, like, you get to see the dynastic play of rulers. You know, like against this would inspire so many countless TV shows. Yeah. But like this whole like interplaying of line of successions and all that. That's why they always say how the throne is like 
uh, one big family because then you see how everyone just married each other and this is all later on they just became heritage 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 yeah kind of like also with like queen victoria and how her pretty much all world world war one was pretty much all her grandkids yeah it makes sense you know if you look at all that yeah 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 everyone married someone at some point and had kids and then those kids married someone else and it was literally within two or three families initially and just expanded from there yeah pretty much every henry william and matilda (laughs) in europe yeah 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 Yeah, so for sure I wanted to pick something quite quick, easy, something that the through line was kind of interesting, shocking. Like I said, I read about this. I'm like, oh, the anarchy seems interesting. But then I found out that it was caused because of a shipwreck. And I'm like, um, okay. And I, I saw the white shipwreck as like by accident, like pirates of like French attacking a ship. But apparently it was not, it was like just a stupid error, human error. And, and the amount of like chess pieces that could have went into play, like, for example, if Stephen went on boat with William, is he, if he didn't get diarrhea and he rode that boat and no the, civil war, uh, the ship, he would have sank with him. So what would have happened to the succession then, right? Yeah. Or if Henry the first rode with the white ship with him, you know, he yeah, was a, he was supposed to, and he kind of declined because it was getting too late, and he's like, I want to take an earlier one. These decisions, yeah. You know, and stuff like that. So it's very interesting how this thing plays out. For sure. But yeah, so. This is where we go from the white ship. I just wanted to make a quick, nice through line episode. Awesome, and yeah. uh, since it's uh, going to be the season of uh, House of Dragons, why not tie something related to that? Yeah, hopefully the show lives up. Okay, aim so. Maybe it's not as convoluted as the actual story, though. I, I, I'm curious. I'm actually curious to see how far they're going to go with it. Yeah, maybe you should watch it. <laughs> maybe. I'll just wait for a few episodes to get so I could binge it. Yeah. Um, anyways so this was tonight's episode i hope you guys liked it it was a quick simple one the week after this is released i'll be on vacation in canada so there might not be an episode on the second week of september but we will try on our to compensate it when i'm back we'll have a lot more time to research other topics um yeah aim is there anything you want to say no man i think you got it pretty much covered there all right guys so here's our call to action which i'm guessing i need to pre-record at this point i'm getting tired of saying this but thank you for all listening tonight uh we, we please find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts uh apple deezer i would say spotify. stitcher but we still didn't get accepted on stitcher unbelievable spotify go uh, amazon music follow us on our socials on instagram we're at convo underscore btwe twitter same handle and on facebook we're a conversation before the world end and why don't you let us know how you felt about this episode how do you feel about the shipwreck that caused the civil war and do you think the house of dragons will resemble it closely or will they take some artistic i mean there's gonna be dragons so there's already artistic liberties with that yeah for sure (laughs) and this is symbolic yeah anyway guys uh uh, have a good night take care
sonny, there's only one word to describe what's happening, and that is panic.